Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Appreciate uh, your commitment into uh, that environment, that evening, uh, that conversation. And it was uh, really great to have so many people there and to sense the energy and commitment of everybody in the, the room. Thank you very much. Uh, our young people are in Romania, or at least most of them, this morning. They arrived there late last night. They almost didn't make it, uh, running to catch their plane. How exciting is that? That's a real adventure, isn't it? To have to run for your plane. And uh, they'll be at uh, Providence uh, Baptist Church, Bucharest, uh, this morning. And we'll pray for them uh, a little bit later. You uh, may recall from last week, or you may recall because we talked about it on other occasions, that we, uh, the young people set themselves the target to raise not only enough money for uh, the trip, but also to go over and above in order to buy whiteboards for every classroom of Project Roof. So the young people are not just visiting a church, they're visiting a church that 25 years ago decided we can do something about the needs around us. And they started a school in the basement of their church for Roma children who were simply unable to access the state education. And therefore the cycle of poverty and uh, criminality, we might add, simply continued down through the generations. And what could we do? What could they do, they were said, in the name of Jesus to break that cycle? And they started a school. 25 years on, there is a, a separate building, a school right the way through all the grades and children that have now graduated and gone on to university as a result of it. It's a very poor school in as much as it's in a very poor part of Bucharest, one of the poorest uh, parts of Europe and uh, the deprivation given it's a European city is quite staggering, astounding. And there they'll work this week involved in running after school clubs and uh, getting involved in classroom uh, events and so on. And we would like to put a whiteboard into every room because that's what they said. When we said, what can we do to bless the school? They said, this is what we would really need. Anyway, to cut a long story short, um, uh, speed it up, Simon. I know you're all saying you're waffling now. Uh, it cost us a £1,000 to put these whiteboards in every classroom. The young people raised more than they needed to the tune of 4,000 400 pounds extra, so we have 600 pounds to go. We had an offering last week, and I said I'd give you the opportunity this week, given that we threw it upon you unexpectedly last week. Uh, Thank you so much for your generosity. It was another 400 pounds last week. So if you came thinking uh, you might uh, want to give this week, then the retiring offering is there. Um, We'll seal the deal at 200 quid, and we'll get whiteboard. Ruth, sound like a plan? Let's see if we can uh, make that happen. Quite busy down here, isn't it? Um, One of the things that we were talking about on our vision day, and and you'll notice that what I've tried to do is to pick up some of those themes and and bring them into our Sundays so that the vision day wasn't simply something that happened and kind of uh, gets put to bed and forgotten and and we kind of move on. One of the things that we did on the vision day was to get everybody who, or to get one person, not the leader, mostly it wasn't the leader I don't think, to to line up representing the various communities that uh, make up the uh, life of, of Burlington and people stretched right across 
across here. I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe there were 12 people standing right across here. Uh, you may remember it. And it was lovely to hear the different expressions of the different communities, the different things that they were involved in, uh, the different rhythms of meeting uh, and so on, and to get a glimpse into the breadth of uh, community life across our church. And also what I talked about is a reality that I'm aware of just as much as we're aware of these communities, of people sometimes in our church life thinking, I'm not sure how all this works, I'm not sure where I belong, I'm not sure where I fit. In fact, I feel a little bit on the outside rather than on the inside. And so what I, what I kind of set forth, as it were, uh, and just what I want to remind ourselves of this morning, is that we, we live with this double reality of, of a breadth of communities where every community says, we're open, we're welcome, we really would appreciate you to come and join us because we, we, we need your friendship, your prayer, your encouragement, and your help. And at the same time, other people feeling like, I'm not sure I'm feeling welcome, I'm not sure I know where I fit. And so there's kind of this disconnect, if we're not careful, that's going on in our community. I would love to understand that more. And no doubt each of us has got a different perspective on what that disconnect looks like and how it works. I would love you to come and talk to me about that. I would love to understand the way we feel about things, the way we think about things, the way things that are said are heard and received, the way perhaps things aren't said that should be said. Love, 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 love to understand kind of how that all works so that we can move forward uh, uh, together. So picking that out from Vision Sunday and kind of throwing it out there again and saying, look, let's let's have a, a... the fullest conversation of talking and listening to one another that we possibly have so that we can all move forward uh, together. And after what we're going to look at this morning, uh, maybe you'll understand why that was a, a kind of a significant thing to draw out as we jump into five graces for today. So here we go, five graces given to the church that the church might become the fullness, that the church might become, might be filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Graces, gifts that we are, not simply people that have gifts, but people that are a gift to his church at large and people that are a gift to this church in particular. Every single one of you, a precious gift to this church, to this community, to this fellowship. And as we've journeyed through these um, uh, uh, sermons, and uh, they're easier to find online now, by the way, the Five Graces uh, webpage is up on the website, so you can uh, catch up easier with perhaps sermons that you've missed. Um, as we've gone through, we, we, we've seen how these five themes, these five personalities, these five voices, these five graces from Jesus are out there in the world, because the world and the way it was made reflects something of the image and glory of God, however broken and however marred. And then last time, how those five graces were given sharp focus in Jesus. He perfectly personified. He was the quintessential example of each of those graces at work in his life and in his ministry. And we ended up by saying, if Jesus is the head of the church, his body, and if Jesus lived and exhibited these five graces, these five voices, then we need to discover them and find them expressed in the life of his people, uh, the church. And in that sense, Jesus has given us language, Jesus has given us a way of looking 
to help us think about these mega themes that run through the Bible and that he's given to his uh, church. So I want to make some general comments about them and talk about apostles and prophets a little bit more in particular. And then next week we'll look at evangelists, shepherds and uh, teachers. So some general comments as we get underway. The world can be divided into all kinds of different types of people. There are starters and there are finishers. We had four kids in the hope of giving birth to a finisher. It's not looking very promising just yet. So because we're starters, our our home, and I won't embarrass ourselves by pointing them out to you, our our home has perhaps an above average reflection of projects that have been started and not quite completed. Now some of you, your finishers and those uncompleted projects would create in your world such a disproportionate stress that you would go out of your way uh, to finish them and you would, um, you would get a, a sense of well-being and satisfaction from finishing something. We don't get that, so we just start something else. And that gives to us a sense of fulfillment and newness and so the cycle goes on. In other words, we're different and we need in our lives, we need in our homes, we need in our church, both starters and finishers. Or to think about it uh, another way, we need pioneers, those who like to launch into something new, and we need those who are developers who will take something that already exists and manage it and deepen it and grow it and protect it and allow it to uh, flourish. In other words, you need those who will plant the seed and then you will need those who will water it and nurture it and protect it once it started to sprout. It's not wrong, whichever one you are, it's just different. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, do you know what, I'm not wrong, I'm just different. So, pioneers then are those who like to pioneer, to step out, to break new ground, to start something fresh. Paul was a pioneer. That's why he was given the job that he was given at the particular time that he was given that job. He, he would express it like this, I, I just love it when I go and preach the gospel somewhere where the gospel has never been preached before. Now, for some of us, we couldn't imagine anything more stressful. But for Paul, it kind of brought him alive. You can almost hear it coming out of the the page, the words. It kind of excites him. It gives him energy. It's why he got up in the morning. Yes, it's Monday, and I'm taking the gospel to people that have never heard it before. And he's off with a skip in his step. It excites him and energizes him. It's the way he's wired. But to others, that would be tank-draining, stress-inducing, somewhat overwhelming. Others are more naturally developers who, who love to take something that's already there and allow it to reach its full potential, to grow it and develop it. And Paul acknowledges these different roles in the the kingdom of God. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but of course, it doesn't matter which human person is involved, it's God himself who makes it grow. So neither the one who plants, neither the pioneer, or the one who waters, the developer, is got anything to boast about, it's just God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are all fellow workers. We need each other. We need the pioneers and the developers in God's service. You are God's field, God's uh, building. No country would ever have been found and then established 
without a coming together of the pioneers and the developers. No community is ever established and developed without pioneers and developers. No community is able to reach out beyond itself without pioneers who go somewhere new and developers who will help to to come in behind and secure and develop that ground which has been gained. And it's not just that the world is made up of starters and finishers and pioneers and developers. It's all way more complex than that, as you know. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and it's a glorious thing. But whatever the distinctions that we make, and we'll make some more in a moment, we recognize that we are different, and different creates tension. The necessary tension in order for us to move forward and grow in a healthy way. Our bodies grow because our bodies are under tension. Our communities grow because we are under tension. But tension can also be a negative thing. That tension between us being different has and does cause tension in church life, just like in every other area of life. For example, evangelists, those who have a real heart for those who are lost, that, that's just the way they're wired. They can't help thinking about those who are not in the church. Sometimes struggle with those of us who spend a lot of time, like me, thinking about what's going on inside the church. So I might make what goes on inside the church seem like the real deal, but yet an evangelist is going, well, what's really important is what's going on outside the church. And so there's a tension that can be healthy, that enables us to grow, or equally, uh, if we're not careful, that becomes a tension that can pull us apart. Pioneers, typically the apostles and the prophets, over the sweep of time, the sweep of church history most recently, have tended to leave local church and be part of parachurch organizations. Because the church was quite a conservative small c, quite a traditional body, and their pioneering energies, their longing to start something new, wasn't very comfortable for local churches, and so they would often do it outside the local church, and then you get a flourishing of parachurch organizations. The picture is more complicated than that, but that's certainly a part of the story. And so there are these inbuilt tensions between us. We are walking tensions. That's why it's not a question if you marry someone, uh, if you're going to argue. It's simply a question of how soon. It's like that in church. It's not a question of whether we'll struggle with different ideas. It's just a question of how soon. And more importantly, how we handle them when they come along. And these five graces helps us have a framework for understanding and therefore hopefully a framework for how we handle ourselves with them. And don't you love the word grace? Charis, a gift, a grace. Such an important word. These are graces. And it is our character that needs to be rooted in Jesus to help us bring the best out of these intentions that absolutely exist in the church. Because some are apostle types and some are teacher types and some are shepherd types and some are evangelist types and some are um, whatever, the fifth one, whatever one I mentioned, shepherds, evangelists, prophets, prophets, some are prophets. And so Paul says, when he writes to the church in Corinth, 
that had allowed the tensions, the differences to get the better of them. He writes to them, he says, look, you've got to remember that whilst all these tensions are true and real because Jesus has given gifts to the church, there is, he says, a most excellent way. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Each one. And you go, well, well how's that going to work? Because we're all different. We, we all like things about other people when it reflects something about what we like and we all struggle with something in other people when it doesn't quite reflect our own perspective and our own position. You are all different parts, yet I will show you the most excellent way. Love is patient. The way of grace. Love is doesn't envy and it doesn't boast and it isn't proud and it doesn't dishonor others and it is not self-seeking and it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Beautiful. So there is this gift to the church which is Jesus, who is love ultimately personified. This Jesus that expresses himself in these different graces that are a gift to us, but also can bring tension to us because it means we're all different and we have to be adult enough to recognize our differences and to to, to walk in other people's shoes, to understand the breadth of what Jesus wants to do in and through his church. He doesn't just want to do what I see and what I'm about. He wants to do what they see and what they're about. He wants to do what they see and what they're about. And the whole is a glorious, glorious thing. Tensions that are creative, construct. Tensions that enable us to grow and flourish rather than to drag us back, to confine us and to hold us down. Let me just express some of these uh, tensions. Uh, Maybe you can see uh, perhaps what I'm talking about. So there's those five graces. If you are an apostle type, you are much more likely to be entrepreneurial in nature. You love it. It gets you up in the morning. It brings you alive. If you're moving towards the teacher end of that spectrum, and there's loads of grey areas, and this isn't a hard and fast box, none of this is to go to the stake for. This is not, this is not super Christology about Jesus himself. This is a reflection on trying to get our heads around the, the, these, the gift that Jesus is to the church, thinking about the way he lived and ministered, thinking about the way that we lived and minister. So, so, so hear it in that kind of, that kind of light, a way of helping us think about who we are and how we're different, you're going to be more managerial. Some people who are entrepreneurial are absolute rubbish managers. If you've tried to work for someone who's entrepreneurial, hoping that they will manage you, you have a pretty hard time. And sometimes managers lead organizations and they absolutely need to be entrepreneurial because the organization is going down the tube and they don't seem to notice it. They are simply managing the decline. Like the person that played the fiddle, was it on the Titanic? Was it a fiddle, Dave? Or a violin? Or I don't know. Played something. Uh, and so we, we need each other. We need it all. And, and, and we go, don't we? What we need is unity. We will never get unity by all being the same because Jesus said we're all different. What we will discover is unity in the spirit of purpose of building up the Lord Jesus and being his body. So uh, let's keep going. Um, if you're uh, uh, more at the top end, you're, you're going to be restless without change. And some of us in the room find that really hard to to grasp because you, you, you hate change. 
You're at the other end of that spectrum. There are some of us who just like to keep things the way they are. And that is a super important facet in a world that is always changing. It's the strongest argument that the church should never change because we're in such a fast-changing world. And so the, the holding on to things that are important and dear and matter to us is an important value. But equally so, as we adapt to a changing world, so is the voice that says, well, actually, uh, we need to keep changing everybody. And if we don't, we'll end up behind uh, the curve of being relevant and incarnating, contextualizing uh, the gospel. Depending on where you are on the spectrum, you might love, as I was saying, to start new things. You might prefer to uh, uh, finish new things or to keep things that are already started going. You might uh, prefer to have your eye on the big picture or you might uh, drill down into the detail. You know, when you, there's a massive project before you and someone wants to work out the big picture by looking at the detail and other people can't even focus on the detail. They want to stand back and look at the, look at the big picture. Uh, I was conscious of that in our conversation on Tuesday about the, the budget. We've got a little bit of a stretch, uh, as you know, and we agreed a budget that would cause us to go on a little bit of a stretch. Uh, and it's easy, perhaps, to get lost in the, in the detail of it. It all seems so complex and so overwhelming. And so I was stepping back and thinking, well, what's the big picture here? Uh, and I just kind of crunched a few figures, and, and uh, now I get these figures out. They might turn out to be wrong. I'll correct them if they are. But roughly, as I just crunched some figures, I thought, well, actually, the stretch that we're looking at is, is the equivalent of 80 pence per week per member. And as I drilled that down, it gave me a handle on something that if I got lost in all the, the malaise of the detail, I couldn't quite get a handle on. And we'll all look at that in, in different ways. And it, it, all our perspectives have something really important uh, to say. Our primary call might be to the lost, or our primary call might be to those who are found. Our, our hearts might be for the church in the same way that our hearts might be for those not yet part of the church, we might be uh, really ready to take risk. We might be very adverse to taking uh, risk. We might sometimes go too fast. We might sometimes go too slow. We, we might be more likely to go from one thing to another. Uh, I was with a pastor, a Canadian pastor was with us this last week from Monday through to uh, uh, Friday. And uh, he was uh, uh, talking about the, the number of different churches that he's led during his time of uh, ministry. I, I couldn't imagine that kind of headache going to another church because we're all different. And some of us are more likely to move. Some of us are more likely to put roots down. So on and so forth. Let's, um, let's pause just for a moment. Let me see if I can get this. To, just very quickly. Where, where, where are you? Are you more entrepreneurial or more managerial. Don't overthink it. Are you more likely to start something new? Or let's go for the change one. You're more likely to, to, to go, let's, let's do something new. Christmas is coming. I know what. Let's do something totally different that we've never done before. Or are you more likely to go, I'd like to do it exactly the same as last year because it was really great last year. Uh, are you more likely to start something new? Or are you more likely to keep something going? Do you tend when you think about your life to look at the big picture? Or, or do you tend to focus on the detail? And what about where your heart is? Do you think more about love this church to be everything it can be for the glory of God? Or I, 
But they're two sides of the same coin, of course. But, all right, do you know, I just, my heart just breaks for the people walking up and down the street of church. My, my heart, my focus is outside. Are you more likely to go too fast or too slow? Are you more likely to take risks or be cautious? Are you more likely to move on or to stay? Turn to the person next to you. Say something about what we talked about. I hope you can begin to see the point. And maybe, uh, maybe I'm laboring it uh, uh, too much. We, we need... Ah, there'd be light. And there was. We, we, we absolutely need each other. And this is a, an incredibly freeing thing. To really know in our hearts, all of us, that we absolutely need each other. The biggest problem with our human condition as we compare ourselves with one another. And we say all the time, even inside if we don't say it out, I'm not sure because I'm not like that person. I'm not like him or her or them. I don't look at it this way. I look at it that way. I feel like this rather than that. And we make these comparisons that, that, that constrain us, that hold us in. I'm, I'm not like that. So I could never... Start a missional community, join a missional community. I'm not like that person, so they don't need me or they, they won't want me or I'm not as valuable and so on. I, I've been loving this service host uh, thing that we're doing. Thank you, Alan, so much for doing it so brilliantly today. Uh, what I've loved about it, though, is how different the last two weeks, not this week, but the week before and the week before that, the only thing they had in common is they both had the, their names began with the same letter. You couldn't get people, Jane and Joel, more different from one another. And that's the kind of church God wants to build, where all of us come with all our differences, our idiosyncrasies, our particular strengths and weaknesses, our particularly the grace of God at work in our lives, and we move it all towards God's glory and God's purpose. Who likes jigsaws? Christmas is coming. This is your big moment. Have you got your Christmas jigsaw ready? They're in the charity shops right now. Or you could buy a new one. At least if you buy a new one, you'll know you have all the pieces. That can be annoying, can't it? But the thing about the jigsaw piece is that even when that piece has not found its place, you know that it's absolutely needed. You with me? And when you put a piece in the jigsaw, what does it feel like? Brilliant, satisfying, satisfying. You guys all to get out more, I tell you. Um, Brilliant. It's a really big moment when the piece goes in. But you do not then look for the next piece that's exactly the same as the piece you've just put in. You're looking for a different piece. You know that you need something different to create the whole. You know that no two pieces are the same and you value each piece because you know that it's needed and it's different. You don't say, gosh, this piece, you're not like the last piece, so you're not going to fit because this one fitted in, therefore this one won't. And we need to really make sure that in just our whole sense of community, and it's, it's not often what we put on other people intentionally, but what other people receive unintentionally, or what we feel, I, I, I'm not that shape piece, so therefore I'm not sure that I fit. In fact, the piece that you really struggled to find the place for gives you greater satisfaction in the end. Am I right? I've been wondering where that piece is going to fit. And there is a sense of joy and thrill and satisfaction when we help each of us find the fit. Yes. Took a bit of effort, took a bit of struggle, working it all out, all our different ways of looking at life, all our different rhythms, all what God's saying. But yes, that moment when it comes together and we fit is a glorious moment and we need to chase after that with uh, at least the same level of enthusiasm as we will do for our jigsaw pieces, wouldn't you say, for the festive.
period. Okie doke. Right, we're nearly done time-wise, but I just want to set up um, uh, a few things about apostle and prophet so that uh, Claire gets a good run at it uh, ready for next. Let's think for a moment just about um, the apostle. Uh, and, I, and I want just to, to use three headings, and we'll use the same three headings for all five, just so that we begin to get a feel, get a flavor. Again, no sharp edges. It's all very gray. It's all blurred. But when we start to speak about it, it begins to help us uh, uh, get, get a feel of the heartbeat of what the particular grace in our lives might be. The key question, I think, that an apostle would naturally ask is, are the people of God being led into their destiny? There's a sense in which God's people are always on a journey. Since the very beginning, when we were called out of uh, slavery in Egypt, uh, or even before that, when God called Abraham and said he's going to do something with it, there's this ongoing momentum looking forward to the day when the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover uh, the sea. Now, apostle-type people might not use that language of destiny, but that sense of the church is always expanding, growing, pushing out in the name of Jesus. His kingdom is advancing. We're going somewhere. And one day, it will all come to fulfillment and conclusion. What a glorious day that will be. In a sense, in microcosm, the book of Acts, which is called the Acts of the Apostles, huh? funny that, was a story of the pushing out. It began in Jerusalem and it ended in Rome. Started in Jerusalem, the center of religion, ended in Rome, the center of the entire world. It was like the story of the church pushing itself out. Church couldn't contain itself. It was on this journey, this momentum. It's, it's part of God's kingdom, which is always growing, always advancing. And one day, uh, Paul would say, one day we're going to make it to Rome, which was like the, 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 the faith of Jesus getting to the ends of the earth. Uh, and then it ends with Paul preaching the gospel, even though he's in chains in uh, Rome. That, that sense of apostolic sentness of going on a journey of being purposeful. And so apostles tend to ask the question, uh, sorry, um, so that, that's the question, let's we'll dial back, so we've got a question, uh, and then an apostle tends to guard a particular aspect of the truth of Christ. It's not that the truth of Christ aren't in all five graces, but one comes particularly to the fore. Uh, apostles are tend to think, well, Jesus, he is the answer to the world's needs. Whatever the question is, the answer is Jesus. It might sound like a squirrel, as in Sunday school, but it actually is Jesus. And so because the answer is Jesus, we must protect the kingdom work of Jesus in the world at all costs. We must guard it and savor the mystery of Christ. In fact, he, he talks about an apostle being exactly like that. This then is um, how you ought to regard us as apostles, as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has uh, revealed. So, what, are the, what kind of culture are the apostles always trying to develop? They're trying to develop a culture that says, we as the people of God are always on mission. We're always reaching out. We're always seeking to change the world. We're always seeking for God's kingdom to be extended. We're always seeking for the glory of God to fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. But just like with all of the graces... Because none of us are perfect yet, we can agree on that, can't we? We're not quite there, are we? We haven't quite got all the edges rubbed off 
of us. I certainly haven't. There's a dark side. And, and dark in, I don't mean dark as in Halloween dark. I just mean a blind side probably is a better, uh, a better way of, of thinking about it. Because as apostles, uh, they're, they're, they're shaped to, to push out with God's kingdom, to let's change the world, let's, let's get on with it. They tend to be people that are driven. You live with someone who's really driven, you know what a nightmare that can be. They tend to be impatient. Uh, they tend to want to get going and they can't hang around for anyone else. You know, the kind of people, you know you're going to go set off for a walk at 10 o'clock and you arrive at 10 o'clock, half of them have already gone because they couldn't wait. You know those people? They're probably apostles. We're going to do it. We're going to change the world. That's perhaps what their, 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 their darker side, their blind side. Let's, let's talk, talk about it as a blind side, shall we? That seems better than the dark side. Now, well, I was obviously having a little low moment. The dark side of the grace of doesn't quite work, does it? Just goes to show that these sermons are brand new, do you know? They've never been done before. Every week, it's brand new. That's why I've got all this grey hair and stuff and it's working out. If, if we say the same thing about prophets, what would we say? Key question for the prophet is, are the people of God listening and responding to God's word? Think of all the prophets in the Old Testament. Listen, please listen to what God's saying and do something about it, please. It's not going to go well if you don't listen. And they didn't listen and it didn't go well. And then another prophet, please, please. Prophets are, are just hot-wired to say, have we heard what God has said and are we doing something about it? Are we getting on with it? And Jesus said, look, my sheep, they, they, well, they know my voice and they follow me. They listen and they do something uh, about it. Key question, are the people of God listening and obeying? Uh, and what kind of aspect of truth are they guarding? They're guarding covenantal truth. It's super important what the prophets are guarding. Effectively, they're saying, look, we belong to the sovereign God. And his voice to us is a gift. And our ability to obey is a privilege of being in that secure relationship. It's not an obedience to get to God. But obedience is a simple privilege because we're part of God's covenantal uh, family. Hot wired then to guard uh, truth. Uh, and uh, you know, the themes of the Old Testament prophets, because they're, they're hot-wired to, to listen to God and to, and to, and to obey and to respond. The prophets are often hot-wired towards truth and righteousness and justice. Think of some of the Old Testament prophets talking about uh, justice rolling like a river. He cried out Amos and righteousness like a never-failing stream. That, that, that just longing that the world would wake up to truth and justice, hearing the word of God and stepping out uh, in response to it. Uh, so what's the kind of culture? Well, we've already said it in so many ways. It's a culture of, of listening and uh, responding. They will quote the parable of Jesus about the wise and foolish builders, about the hearing, listening, and the obeying. But of course, there's a blind side. See what I did there? Adapted along the way. A blind side. It says dark side, but that's all wrong. It's a blind side. Prophets can be critical. And you can kind of understand that position. You know, think of Old Testament prophets. Please listen. No, please listen. Please listen. No, no, no. And some of the prophets just went stir crazy, didn't they? Insane. Because the people wouldn't listen. I mean, I loved Nehemiah's response. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. No, this is actually in the Bible. I'm not making this up. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the blind side of the prophet, don't you think? Right there. I'm getting all kinds of looks. I'm married to a prophet. It's going to be a long day. And so it, it, it could be easy for a, for a prophet, uh, and, and this is why, again, prophets have tended to move away from local church, because instead of being a soft voice at the center, helping us to listen and to respond, sometimes they've ended up as a critical voice on the edge. 
and, and that's the, the blind side. And every one of these graces has a blind side. And that's why the tension can work for good, or the tension can put a strain on us. And so we need the most excellent way. And then finally, two mega themes in the whole of the Bible, covenant and kingdom. Being in relationship with God is our gift, is a gift to us, is our, our covenant uh, uh, legacy. It's what we receive as sons and daughters of God. And because we're in covenant with God, we have the privilege to step out into kingdom. Prophets will remind us that we are covenant people with the glorious ability to hear God speak and to obey him out of joy. And the apostles will remind us that we have a kingdom responsibility to step out and to take the kingdom of Jesus with us as we go. And we need both, just as we'll discover five. Jesus appointed them to be with him, to say, above all else, you're mine, to hear my voice, to be in relationship with and to go. He sent them out, covenant and kingdom. And if you um, are really bored sometimes and want to listen to something that gives the big picture of the whole Bible, a few years ago, I preached on the whole Bible, not on one Sunday, although it felt like that, but through the whole year. And this theme of covenant and kingdom is super important in those early chapters of Genesis. In fact, the whole book of Genesis sets it up, and we can see how the the Word of God is gloriously written. It comes to a super conclusion as Jesus gives to his church apostles and prophets. They look, these things, that these threads, these themes that have carried all the way through, they're still there. They still matter. They still express the heart of God. And we, we long in our day for their flourishing, all five of these graces, that the church might be every Alan. Very much. Little. I'm grateful for this series, Apostle to Epistle. I to tell you just, uh, yesterday I spent the day with Mike, significant influence. Now he's 80, caring his wife and sitting over lunch i said to them, she says he does i said given a blank focus something's response technically did you notice that father I take the not ultimate